Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Hi, I'm Rocco, and this is episode 24 of Destination Linux. So, this week is a little bit different because Rob is off. He had some business to take care of, so he wasn't able to make it. And the decision was to skip a week or to have a co-host. So put out the feelers, talk to a couple guys, and I have two awesome guys with me today to help me run through the podcast with you. So I have Dustin and Ryan. Welcome, guys. Thanks, man. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay. So I'm sure everybody's going to want to know, well, some of them may already know you. Uh, I'm sure, Das, you're affectionately, or Ryan, you're affectionately known as Das Geek from the YouTube channel. And Dustin, you are from? Ubuntu Budgie is kind of where I've been uh, working these days. Nice. So where did you, or when did you start in Linux? Uh, Well, first hands-on, I guess, would have been probably about 97 Red Hat 5. It was, uh, I was already working in IT at the time more of like a windows guy at the, which I think everybody was around then. And, uh, I just had a manager who was all windows. Into, uh, Did you say windows? <laughs> anyway, go I ahead. Deny it all. I, I deny it all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, basically I had a manager who just kind of told me he was monkeying around with it. And so that just kind of made me, we had some spare PCs and stuff and I just kind of started spinning up uh red hat five. And then I got pretty sidetracked, with it mostly because I was having to like compile audio drivers just to get stupid speakers to work. <laughs> and uh, so for me back then it was mostly more of like kind of dipping my toes in and, and, you know, I wouldn't say like I was all in at that point, you know, I had to kind of become a convert at some point. Um, it was all like spare gear, you know, never really ran it as a primary for quite a while. Um, but then probably around 2000, is kind of when I made that jump in, at least on the server side. So Linux, probably real heavy use has been since about 2000 in a like kind of production environments and things like that. So I have a, an infrastructure background and that's kind of where my inroads with it were. Um, so it, it's it wasn't actually a lot of desktop at the beginning. And that was more because I still had to support Windows, various incarnations like all the way back 311 windows 95 windows nt went right. through some you know active directory migrations all that kind of stuff uh so i still had to support it it was a lot of mixed mode networks kind of thing and then uh over the years once i kind of got to that point where i didn't really have to support it anymore i started distancing myself my role kind of switched into like security and now it's actually management. So I don't have to support anything anymore. So now even like my work machines, they're all Linux and Amazonified EC2 instances that I run my desktop out of and stuff like that. So it, uh, you know, it's much more prevalent now and, you know, I made my way through, I guess, desktops. I came back on around 10.04. I don't remember what the code name for that in Ubuntu land was, but that would have been around that time. And then uh, I was on Arch with i3 for a desktop for quite a while. I actually am a pretty big fan of i3. I just like, uh, I don't like touching my mouse. So window management was always key for me. And then I ended up on Antigross and i3 for a while. And then eventually Ubuntu Budgie when I actually joined that team. So 
that is where I sit now for obvious reasons. Right. Well, I don't think anybody switches to Linux altogether right out. It's always you get your feet wet, you start out, and you just go a little bit here, a little bit there until you finally realize, hey, this is better for me. So Yeah, well, it was always dipping toes until it would fit my workflow, I guess. And there were certain things that either annoyed me or didn't quite fit in with what I was doing at the time, you know, again, mixed mode. So you have a lot of windows admin stuff and, 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 you know, Oh, you have to run outlook, you have to run it, you know? And at the time, you know, there's, there was no like OWA and stuff for the corporate environments and things like that. Now it doesn't really matter because everything's in a web browser anyway. So. Right. Now I don't have to, therefore I do not. (laughs) So you're very active in the community. You're active in the Telegram groups and you went to Linux Fest Northwest. So how was that? Uh, It was awesome. It was kind of my first sort of go at these fests. I've lived, I I live like an hour north of it and I find it completely ridiculous that it took me this long to go. It was (laughs) sort of one of those things where like, in amongst my friends, like none of my friends are sort of like this. And I've never really been much of a lone wolf to roll down to something like that. So I'm like, all right, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Right. I never went, I never went. And then this year it was because I started getting involved in open source, like in like December of last year, I just Mm -hmm. decided I didn't want to just consume it all the time. I wanted to sort of help out and become part of it. And uh, so through that stuff and talking to various people, like I started talking to Wimpy or Martin Wimpress from Ubuntu Mate and he was coming in. So, uh, I wanted to head down and meet him cause he was very, very gracious with information online and stuff like that. So I wanted to head down and meet him, uh, Ryan Sipes for, he's the system 76 community manager. And honestly, kind of a lot of what I'm saying, you're sort of echoing even what I wrote in a blog post about it, but it's just that's the kind of impression I had was it was like, it was the people, the people were awesome. Like everyone, every single person that I spent time with and, and all kinds of like crazy different sort of discussions that some had absolutely nothing to do with anything Linux. Right. I actually like that. And, and all walks of life, like it was pretty cool. Like there was, you know, like the traditional gray neck beard kind of dudes and there was, (laughs) you know, the, uh, the, the quite the opposite of that and and you just it was such a widespread of people and it was that that is what i liked about it was more the people i mean the the displays were cool and it was kind of neat to see like kind of the you know the last episode of one of the other podcasts and you know stuff like that and it was just it was fun it was a good exposure and uh i will definitely be going every year whether i go by myself or not again yeah i think that would be awesome to go to Um, I'm not close to it and I wouldn't go to it. Uh, but I think that would be awesome to go to just to meet the people to, you know, you, we talk, you know, we'll talk on telegram, Mm -hmm. we'll talk online, but to actually meet talk in person, that would be absolutely awesome. Oh, it's very different. Like it's, you you get to, I mean, I'm not going to say you get to know people in that short amount of time. I mean, for me, unfortunately I had prior commitments where I had to come back up every night. So I didn't get to kind of hang out. And there was a lot of like after festivities that like system 76 were putting on. And um, I think that's when you probably would have seen like even another side of people just based on some of the photos I saw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it, it's one of those events that if you can go, you should definitely go. Um, I remember reading, I think it's off of their website that they actually said it's the biggest fest in the U S uh, so 
you know. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, do you ever go to the Linux Fest Northwest? I haven't been to Linux Fest Northwest. No, I would love to go. Um, closest thing I've been to that would be Dragon Con. It's just because I'm a geek. <laughs> but I guarantee you a bunch of people there at Dragon Con used Linux because they just, you know, you, you could you could tell that it was uh, our people. But uh, no, I've not gone. I would love to go. And uh, I think probably someone like me who's a lot newer in Linux all right, so when did you start in Linux, Ryan? An interesting past with Linux. So <clears throat> um, there have been portions where I've touched Linux or seen it cross my desk. I've been, my dad owned a computer store in Florida and wrote software, and we built and engineered computers and things like that. And uh, every once in a while, we'd get some computers from businesses that we prepared to have Red Hat or things on it. I never messed with those operating systems. When I would boot it up, I'd look at it and go, oh, God, what is this? You know, we're going back to DOS. Uh, but that was kind of the first impression there. And then later in life, there were instances where I was doing data recovery for individuals. And uh, tools like DD Rescue and things were incredibly powerful. And I was able to do some amazing things like being able to get um, a particular friend of a friend's baby's first photos rescued off a hard drive that every other tech store and place that she had sent it off to special hard drive recovery could not get the data off of it. But we were able to use DD Rescue and get that data along with some other tools that I found. But at that point, I was really just reading what others had done and copying and seeing if it worked. I didn't really know what I was touching too much. And then I decided to do the 30 days of Linux. And that's where the first time, which was just a few months ago, that I said, what if I went into Linux and really put my entire portfolio of PCs, and I have a lot of them, uh, on Linux and just tried to use it full time? Could it actually replace everything that I do in Windows? And that was the test. And one of the big keys to me is every video I had watched up to that point was all about uh, Linux can take an old computer and make it new again. But I didn't care about that. <laughs> I wanted to take the best computer that I could afford and see what Linux could be. And that's where I think 30 Days of Linux became a success on my channel and everything else is because it was a different flavor than most people I had seen trialed Linux. We put it on the 1080 which was brand new at the time. NVMe, M2, uh, you know, hard drive. We did 32 gigabytes of DDR4. Like we maxed the machine out and then put Linux on it and gamed and, and did graphic design and Caden Live. And we brought my brother up who knew nothing about Linux and said, hey, write your game in Blender and Torque yep. and see if you can use Linux. And we just did all of these advanced things with Linux instead of what a lot of people see, which is like, oh, this look, it's got a notepad and you got LibreOffice. Yeah. You know, which that's great. All that stuff is necessary, but yes. we wanted to see power user uh, implementations. And so that was when I really got into it. But I never intended to stay with Linux. I kept my hard drive, my Windows hard drive there. I was ready to boot back into it. And then, kind of like Dustin said about the community, they're infectious. It's like they <laughs> they start talking to you and they care and they want to help you. And they're like, hey, what programs? Like they're reaching out to me. Like what programs do you find that you can't replace? And I'm, I'm like, uh, OneNote. I love OneNote. Okay, try CherryNote. And they were giving me all of these different things. And it's like they really wanted me to stay with Linux. 
I could feel it. And then I started getting all these people like, hey, I'm switching with you. So it became this phenomenon, and it still is. If you go on my channel read the comments, on, on most of my videos, even ones that aren't related to Linux, you'll see, hey, I saw your 30 days of Linux, and I'm switching today. Or I had tried Linux in the past and saw your videos, and I'm switching today. And that, to me, has kind of been my Linux world. It really started just a few months ago, which is kind of cool. And that is awesome. Well, your um, 30 Days of Linux challenge was a very popular uh, series, although you did get some heat for that as well. Lots of heat for that. Um, there were a lot of instances where YouTube kind of got me bad when we were talking about removing annotations because there were I, I really wanted the experience. And this was probably dumb on my part. I really wanted the experience to be raw. So when I would record a video for Linux, like saying, hey, I'm going to go try Doom, or in the case of the video that everyone talks about, which is uh, I wanted to try, what was the game? I'm trying to think here. Uh, it's the Undersea game, Bioshock. Yeah. And I recorded it raw. Well, there's this issue with OBS and Linux Mint, where OBS, Linux Mint will tear through. So I'm in the video going, this is great. There's no screen tearing. Everything's running wonderful. <laughs> but there's this, just this one section at the very beginning of the video, and it's not more than like three seconds long, where you see the screen tearing of Mint coming through. And it's OBS, but it's not on my screen while I'm gaming. And I put a little annotation there. Of course, YouTube removed those, so now you can't see that on the video. So now all the comments are, oh, yeah, the game's real great, and Linux, <laughs> and you can see all this tearing, and there's all these other videos I've done with Doom 2016 using Vulcan drivers and everything else that just, you know, 140 frames per second, the game scream. It's amazing, but unfortunately, sometimes I think I do a disservice with that video, but the reality is I think the people who are not going to switch to Linux are going to find a reason anyways. They're just coming to troll and right. the ones who are really interested, you can see there's more comments of people saying, I'm switching to Linux, or you convinced me to switch, even in that video there. So I think a lot of people saw through that or, or kind of understood it. But right. I did pin a comment. That's the best I could do to say. <laughs> beginning. <laughs> but there are a lot of people in Linux who know a lot more than me, and they will let me know that on a regular basis. Uh, but the way I look at it is the people who know the most, they're the ones coming in there to help me. The ones who read articles I call, you know, Google smart. They're the ones that come in there and they just look for any little slip up or thing you say. And, and then they beat you up over it. Whereas the ones who really know what they're doing, they're the ones that come in and try to educate you. And that's what my channel is about. It's why every video ends with fill your brains. It's not about me teaching you everything. It's about us as a community teaching each other. And that's what I well, the reality is, is no one knows everything. And if everyone says they know everything, they're a liar. Yeah, pretty <laughs> it's much. It's that simple. Like it's, you know, like I, you know, I regularly suffer as a lot of people do with what's called imposter syndrome, right? You, you're out there kind of doing your thing and then there's always going to be someone smarter. And then you're always like, hmm, should I really be doing this? And <laughs> the reality is, is yeah, you should be because one, that's the only way you're going to learn. And the reality is, is no one can fault you for that. And the real important part is you actually have to say when you don't know what you're talking about, you know, don't, don't sort of pretend that you know what you're doing. If you don't, you know, there's nothing wrong with not knowing. Cause you know what, there's a lot I do not know. And I will be the first to admit that. Well, that's really one of the good things about Ryan, your channel is that it's real. 
that it's mm-hmm. it's not fake. It's not somebody out there trying to say I know it all. It's just real experiences. And yep. you you have over two thousand subscribers, so you you have a obviously you have a fan base and uh, a really good channel. So thank you very much. Yeah, it's grown very fast. Thanks to Linux, really, and you. You were one of the ones who came in to help me out when I was tortured <laughs> in the comments, and we didn't know each other back then at no. all. But you, you were one of the kind ones that would come in and give encouragement, and there were a lot of people like you, and that's the beauty of the Linux community. And I would say that's easily 99% of the community, and I can honestly say I'm a part of a lot of geek communities in my life. <laughs> Obviously, I go to Dragon Con, right? Um, <laughs> there, there is a rare... A rarity in the Linux community that you can say 99% of the people truly love this product. They love the ideas behind it. They love, they love the people watching people get involved in it. And that's really what this channel was, was a bunch of people pushing me up. And that's, that's what's so cool about it is that that's what drove them is to get this new guy who's very geeky and the other stuff in the Linux and, and to kind of share that, that common, you know, love. Is that kind of what, would you say that's when kind of there was a spike in your channel? Is that sort of what drove it or were it like, what, like, how would you sort of lay out what your numbers were like, say pre and post your 30 day challenge? I mean, 30 day Linux really was a huge boost. It probably makes up, made up 20 to 30% of my viewers up to that point. I was growing very quickly, but it was more on audio file, but uh, stuff and security everybody that's kind of what led my channel into like hey i'm going to try this 30 days of linux was everybody was asking about privacy and security and so i would do videos on wanix and tails and things like this just the security aspects of it but i didn't really know a whole lot of you know what i was talking about outside of just security implementations and why say a linux uh, registry would be or uh, kernel would be more secure than windows for instance um, but there was a lot of security things keeping yourself safe that stuff online and that started blowing up but that naturally led to linux i think because when you think security you're going to start curving right towards linux so i mean it's right. it kind of led there itself and during that time because people were so interested in security and i was doing a lot of videos on it i started researching it and realizing how insecure uh, things like Windows, what really were and what they were doing behind the scenes, which I never, I would say I, I was kind of ignorant to or just didn't care enough about at the time to really explore prior to that. I have to disagree with you, Ryan, because uh, they have a new system out now, Windows S. Uh-huh. You know, it stands for Windows Security. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so secure because you can't install anything on it, which Pretty is a much, brilliant yeah. <laughs> I have a different word for S. Yeah, well, <laughs> we will use that here. <laughs> okay. So two guys are going to help me out with the news. So first up in our news section is Ubuntu 17.10. So the daily builds have been coming out, and it is now shipping with the GNOME desktop instead of Unity. So the GNOME... Shocker. Yeah, the GNOME desktop is now the <laughs> default. And it's come on pretty quickly. Like uh, originally, they I didn't think they were going to switch so fast. You know, I thought they would wait, but it's come on pretty quickly. Um, so LightDM has GNOME as the default in the ISO, but there's Case. also a GNOME Wayland session. 
So there's one other change though. I think I read this today. I think they dropped light DM and now they're going to GDM. And they will be, yes, because uh, they had announced, I think it was OMG Ubuntu had had an article about it. Uh, GDM is going to replace light DM. But uh, now is that on, did you look at the daily builds? Is that with that now? Is GDM in there? Or is it still light DM? I'm pretty sure it's still Lightium. Honestly, I'm not 100% sure. I haven't downloaded like the main distro in kind of a while right now. I haven't either, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the Unity session is gone, apparently. From And now I haven't downloaded it, but according to everything that I have read, the Unity session has been removed. And again, GDM will be replacing Lightium. So that release date is October 19th. Now, is that something you guys are going to check out or try or are you just gonna let it go well that, that's a tough one for me for obvious reasons there's a certain amount of uh <laughs> loyalty limit, there. limited well, no 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 it's not even a loyalty i actually like to load other stuff on just to see what's happening like i have a test rig that has solace on it you know mm-hmm. like that's but i have that one because it's a little more relevant to sort of what i'm working on right now uh if i had more equipment i'd probably have more experiments happening, but uh, limited computers, time, all that other kind of stuff. I haven't branched out a lot lately. I've sort of been waiting to see how it's going to settle up with the uh, GNOME implementation because there's been a lot of discussion about, you know, is it stock? Is it not stock? How are they going to change it? Um, You know, and then there's, you know, the questions of how many extensions, is it going to weigh it down? You know, it depends who you ask about it. So I'm kind of waiting to see, where it sort of settles a bit. And then to be honest, I will pull it down because you want to kind of see what's happening and keep yourself connected. It's just uh, my current use case is I'm not going to jump all over it day one. You know, I'll, I'll get there. I will do it uh, for sure, but just not on day one for myself. I just, you know, let the, let the dust settle and, and see where it's going to go. But I'm, I am interested in it because this is a pretty major transition from where they've been and, you know, kind of where they're going to. And it, it, it is interesting. And I'm also curious to see uh, sort of how the teams lay out, like what sort of the split is between the work that Canonical itself is doing and the previous uh, uh, Ubuntu GNOME uh, devs are. Like, are they being pulled into the fold? Is it just a core team there? Like how that's going to settle out? Yeah, well, I mean, I know there's some meetings and stuff going on for it. Like, you can sort of see some buzz about it going on in some of the Telegram groups and and things like that. But I'm just kind of, for me, more of what's interesting is to see kind of how the dust settles and what it's going to look like and what their their plan is going forward. That That's my interest point more than anything. I mean, software changes so fast that, you know, just when the moment something changes, I usually, I don't, I don't jump at it. I look at it, but I'm not going to start loading and wiping machines until to sort of see where it's going to be, not what it's building to be. So you're not a distro hopper? <laughs> not right now. I, I'm i a maybe a closet distro hopper. I just don't a distro hop on my... <laughs> Go hide I, uh, in the closet and install me. Pretty much. No, I, I don't... I think we I coined a new term. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't distro hop on my main machine because I, I got stuff to do. Right. Uh, but... To that being said, I mean, for example, my daughter's laptop, it's running Ubuntu Mate and has been for a long time. I put her on that one. And so she's got that one. My son was running, 
uh, he was running stock Unity for or Ubuntu with Unity for quite a while. And so that's kind of how I guess I experienced my distro hopping is kind of through either my one test unit and uh, my kids. Right. I, I basically, I gave them a laptop and it only had one thing on it because I don't have licenses for anything else. <laughs> Ryan, how about you? Are you going to try the daily builds? Are you going to wait to the release or are you just even going to not even try it? I definitely will try it. I have a soft spot in my heart and always will be for Ubuntu. And the reason is, as a new user to Linux, Ubuntu installs every time. It has the best installer. Uh, it's flawless. I can go and, you know, all the distros people were telling me to try in 30 days of Linux. Uh, I would always Gen be two. screwing up my computer in horrible ways. <laughs> um, and Ubuntu could always boot and fix it. Like Ubuntu would always install and fix my problem. So I, I just, I have a, a lot of love for that. And I think a lot of new people start with Ubuntu and obviously a lot of experienced people stay with it. But a lot of new, most of your new people probably have some starting point with Ubuntu. And, and so I'd love to see them trying this. There is this, I would say, small group of people who have this thing against Ubuntu where it's like, oh, don't use that. You've got to use this other distro. And I don't say that's a big group because, you know, but um, I think so. I think a lot of them are going to be quenched with this gnome move is where I'm getting at. Like, I think that group may be appeased knowing that uh, they're going to Gnome and moving away from the Unity side of things. So I'm very interested to see how it looks, how it works. And hopefully it's not like Ubuntu Mate fork, where you can uh, not search for, I don't know what menu system they're going to implement, but not search for applications, Franco. <laughs> you're talking <laughs> about I just the... don't, I don't yeah. get it. Yeah, you're talking about the three-tiered <laughs> menu, yeah. Well, look, there's a lot of uh, development and we had talked earlier about the fact that how GNOME was going to look with extensions. Which ones were they going to implement? There was polls out there on OMG Ubuntu. But there's what is exciting about it is there's so – it's like a flurry of activity with GNOME where people are – I mean the news stories that have been coming out with this extension. Oh, now there's a picture-in-picture picture extension. Now there's this extension. There's just a flurry of activity around GNOME and it's exciting to see because – you're getting all of this development and that you didn't have before. I mean, you had it. I mean, you had it, always had extensions, and that's what makes GNOME great. But now you have it, just a, a constant flow of development, and I think it's awesome. But how much of that is new hotness? Well, to me, you know? it may be partially new hotness. But mm -hmm. if it if it develops into having better extensions or new extensions, so be right. it. I'm, I'm actually not even advocating that that's what it is. I think there's probably a small aspect of that, at least in the more driven from the interest, I think, but um, I'm, I'm not necessarily advocating that. That's why everybody's starting to now write extensions. Or well, whatever. I but think it does that's a it, part. Yeah. Well, it makes it appealing because you're targeting a larger audience now, right? Because if you look at everywhere that GNOME comes by default, like that's a pretty big footprint. And, you know, no pun intended with their icon either, but <laughs> um, it is everywhere. So if you're going to kind of write code and kind of have it, you know, a wider touch and feel, I mean, that's definitely one of the targets for sure. So, well, again, there's a flurry of activity. So they're working on improving the high DPI support 
So it already works. God. Yeah, well, it already works somewhat with high DPI, although I don't have a high DPI screen. Uh, it mm-hmm. does work with high DPI. It just doesn't work perfectly. Great. <laughs> so they are working on improving that. Uh, there's also uh, GNOME 3.26 will be coming out, and that will have some changes in it. So there will be the top bar will be translucent by default. And I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I always want a transparent panel. I just think that makes the operating system look fabulous. And it's going to be by default, although you can turn it opaque if you want to. uh, And it will turn opaque when you maximize a window. But to start out, in windowed mode, it will be transparent. What do you think? Uh, for me personally, it just depends on the overall theme. Sometimes I like a solid one. Like it's like that stark contrast to whatever your wallpaper is. But for example, right now I am running a semi-transparent panel in Budgie. So today I have that tomorrow. I might have something else, but that's the beauty of it, you know? So any default setting, I mean, while it can be a first impression thing, the reality is, is the flexibility is there to kind of make it do whatever you want it to do. And that I would say is probably one of the driving factors for a lot of people to kind of using uh, desktop Linux day to day, like outside of the tech people anyways, right? Like tech people are going to use it because of the larger technical merit through all aspects of the system. But, you know, someone who's maybe come into the ecosystem uh, and their primary use case is, you know, web browsers and Netflix and whatever else that kind of thing is, you know, they're, they're going to kind of, they like the eye candy. And well, I mean, I think everyone does whether they'll admit it or not, but you'll, you'll, that kind of flexibility is something a lot of people tend to like. Well, some people will, uh, some people like the eye candy and I'm one of those people. Some people mm-hmm. will don't really care about the eye candy and just want yeah. it to work. So yep. either way, I think, it, I think it's a good thing that they're going by default with the translucent panel because it is a first impression. So when yeah. you, when you, and this isn't going to be necessarily, I don't know when 3.26 will actually hit Ubuntu, uh, but it is coming. So Ryan, do you care for a transparent panel? Like Dustin, I, I don't really care one way or the other. It depends on the themes that I have and what I'm running. It's not something I particularly pay a lot of attention to. With that being said, I love the fact that they're giving you the option. It's like Dustin said, you know, and I would think that they've done some type of pulling or something of their community to feel like they would want that standardized, or maybe they just feel it looks better with the implementations that they have. But as long as you have the options there, then it's only a good thing. The, the other thing is too, though, is like, it's so subjective to personal taste, right? Like it's kind of like picking a t-shirt. I might like a black one. You might like a white one. So, I mean, I think the bigger thing is more than the 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 details i mean you got to have something that looks good out of the box but it's having a sane set of defaults is something that i look for something that you can you know install a system boot it up the first time and there isn't necessarily that overwhelming urge to go and tear it apart and change it because you look at it and just kind of like oh what am i what have i done like what am i looking at here like <laughs> You know, like my, in, in my opinion, and, and this is just my opinion, any machine that you can turn on out of the box and start using it without having to customize it is, is a win in my, in my opinion, you, you don't want to have to customize it, but you want to be able to customize it when, you know, it strikes your fancy or whatever you're feeling that day. 
I have so. to agree that out of the box experience is especially important for distro hoppers because do we really have the time <laughs> before we go to the next distro to change any of the settings in there? Well, that's why I think it's a great thing to have it by default because you can get this through. You can get a transparent panel in them through extensions. But to have it by mm-hmm. default, it would be awesome. And if I had my Chris Fisher bell right now, I would ding it for Ubuntu Budgie and we'll plug them because Budgie has <laughs> some of the best sane defaults there is out there. Uh, when I when I boot into Ubuntu Budgie, I don't really have to change hardly anything <laughs> with the exception of the menu. I'll leave that in there. But uh, for everything else, yeah, I don't have yeah, to change yeah. anything, really. <laughs> I mean, the system tray icons, everything, the plank dock, everything is to me where it should be. Now, that may be my personal taste, but mm-hmm. it does have some sane defaults. So my question to you then is, is like, okay, when you run Solus, do you feel the same way? Because, I mean, it's budgie too. You know? It is. It is. But uh, Solus has uh, the specific repos that they have, and they don't have the wide variety of software as of yet. So No, no, no. I'm talking about the same defaults and how it looks, because you were talking about sort of like how the, how it looks and how it is out of there, like the icons in the menu and, and you know, everything. But the Or sorry, not the menu in the in the tray. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the menu. I don't like it. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, what I'm getting at is, you know, because like Solus has great defaults out of the box too. Right? Yep. So you can't, I, I'm just, you know, nod to Ike and crew because they do a great job, you know, and, and to a certain degree, we inherit some of that and, and that's awesome. And I just, I was just curious on your point of view, like whether it's something that you felt was different between the two and not necessarily in like a competitive manner. I'm just curious, genuinely. Well, to be honest with you, I have installed Solus Budgie and I actually installed GNOME over top of Budgie and I installed Solus Mate. So it's it's not that I installed it over top of it. I installed it alongside mm-hmm. of it, I should say. So okay. I really didn't run Solus Budgie that long to get a good look at it. Right, uh, I right. went right to Solus Mate. I actually did videos on that. And then I went to Solus Gnome. So it was kind of like I didn't <laughs> give Solus Budgie maybe the time that it should have had. Right. But Right. You should. Um, I'm definitely going to say you are definitely not the uh, closet hopper or closet distro hopper. I'm out in the open, dude. Out and proud. I'm out in the open. <laughs> All right. So next on our list is more news about gnome and you have dashed a doc which got an update to version 59 so it has better multi-monitor support and dashed a doc is like one of the premier extensions out there i think i mean there are some people that will prefer dash to panel because of the way right. it's set up but i think dash to doc is like the premier extension that you can use in gnome and now you can check a box to show on all monitors so that you can have the, the dash to dock on both monitors. Yeah, that's kind of the one extension that everyone just sort of goes to. Like anytime you hear anyone recommend any specific GNOME extension, that's usually like one, two, or three Yep. in the list. Um, with this update, do you know, do they allow you to have separate docks on different monitors or is it all just kind of like a mirrored sort of replication across I, all of them? I, I don't know for sure. But as yeah. far as everything that I read, it uh, replicates the same dock on both monitors. So, oh, okay. Uh, I don't want to say it's definitely not an option, but I don't think it's an option. 
So yeah, I don't think it is either. I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. I was just more curious if you had heard one way or the other for sure. So you have a setting to change the behavior of the icons as well, which I thought was pretty neat. So, you know, when you click on the icon by the right now, before that update, you would get, you would switch between, like if you had two Chrome windows open, you would switch between the two. But you can actually switch it in there so that you can click on the icon that you're looking for and it will bring up the overview, which is a really nice feature. That's actually pretty cool. So, Ryan, have you uh, you installed GNOME? You have you run it? I've not played with it directly or in any way at the time that I was downloading the distros and playing with them that I would have known I was playing with it specifically. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of my knowledge at the time when I was hopping a lot during the thirty days of Linux was, you know, they would go, "Hey, try Linux Mint or try this distro, try that distro." Right. I just download the first one on there, uh, not knowing much about desktop environments at the time. So. No, I haven't spent a whole lot of time, to, to, to my knowledge. I, I got a distro for you that's not a distro. Yeah. What's that? Have you, have you Googled uh, Linux from scratch? No. <laughs> it sounds like it wouldn't be up my alley, though. <laughs> it, it's, it's literally like a, like a cookbook that gets you down, like I believe, like compiling your kernel and everything, and you build up everything step by step. Okay. A lot of people say that if you really want to understand the internals, you do Linux from scratch. Yep. Wow. I have not done it in a long time. I don't know if I want to do it again. <laughs> oh, it wasn't fun, huh? Well, it's good. It's interesting. It's kind of like it's like one of those little tiny virtual blue ribbons on your on your corkboard that's kind of your geek right, card. Yeah, Look. something like that. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things you look at until you kind of do it. You're like, oh, I should do it. Not again. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you. we talked about it before. You have to have the time in order to do that. It's not just yeah. a sit-down 10-minute process. You have to have the time to learn it and pick it up and get it right. And there's going to be problems, and you're going to have to research them, and you're going to have to ask for help. So it's you have to have time to do that. Yeah, for sure. So, it's a good learning thing, though. Yeah, it is. So the next thing we have is another gnome issue or article we have uh, another extension picture in picture so when you install this extension it pretty much i don't know if you've ever used floating for youtube uh chrome extension but it's it's pretty much uh similar to that where you would open a window uh say you wanted to open a video and you install the extension you hit the drop down menu and you set the preview to on and you tell it what window you want it to preview. And then it puts maybe a, um, I don't know, a four by four screen of that video or whatever you chose in either your top right or your bottom left corner. So you can continue to browse what you're doing, look through your open windows, move files around, doing whatever you're doing and still see that window, whether it be a video or even a website. Oh, that's this just is like so that. up my alley. I love it. <laughs> I, I just, you know, there are so many times where um messing with html code trying to learn some whatever it is i'm trying to learn something new but i've got twitch over here going or something else but then you're trying to manage windows back and forth and as i understand it this stays up no matter what's going on yep. uh, on the screen i think it's just genius i could so many uses I could it, well it's just picture in picture like a tv like when you're browsing your channels like a lot of tvs have that um pro tip multi-monitor <laughs> <laughs> 
No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got multiple monitors, but I still not enough. Know, yeah, not enough. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to extend my desk to get more on there. I don't think you can ever have enough monitors. You need well, the rack mounts. Do you guys yeah. use more than one or more than two, I mean? Because I only have two. Uh, two works great for me, but I don't know if I need a third one. Do I? Uh, yes. You do? <laughs> I, okay. You, you absolutely do. You can't have enough. My my setup is basically a 30-inch in the center, and then I have two 24s up in portrait mode on each side. So they're like two horns up each side of my primary. And then you've got everything from, like I find reading, like documentation is really good on the portrait. Right. Uh, because there's like less scrolling and I don't know, you can just kind of get around everywhere. Even like, okay, the the dirty secret about how much time we all probably spend on Telegram. That's a good one because you get all the different conversations that are in the go and your notifications. Like, yeah, you, you, you're only on two. Come on, man. Like time to, time to step up. <laughs> so, <Right? laughs> I mean, there are instances though, where you could see you, you can't have a multiple monitor set up. So if I'm, for instance, downstairs where some of my laptops are, I'm not going to have, you know, when I'm in bed doing something, I'm not going to have that multiple monitor option. I would like to, my wife would kill me, but <laughs> hang them from the ceiling. Um, but, you know, so I think that there's a lot of use for this. I think it's, it's a really cool idea that's actually really useful. Like some of these things that I see are features that come out with certain apps. I'm like, it's neat, but I would never use it on a normal basis. I wouldn't train myself to get used to it. Basically, right. The execute. This is one where I could see I would train myself to use that on a regular basis. A lot of them are edge cases, right? So yeah, yep. it's probably someone built it because it solved a niche for them. So it's true. Very true. But then again, that's probably how a lot of software starts. Yeah. You know. I All really hate how X works, so I'm gonna build Y to get rid of X. That's it. Okay, so the last thing we're gonna talk about GNOME, because I think we've covered enough of it. Uh there is a poll over at OMG Ubuntu asking what apps should be in Ubuntu by default be installed. So they would all be available uh, through the software center, or, but which one should be installed by default? And they have a listing of them, and I'm not going to go through all of them, uh, but I definitely say the tweak tool should be in there by default. But um, you can, we'll put a link in the uh, show notes that you can go over and vote, and that way uh, you can give your feedback. I think probably with that kind of stuff, the biggest consideration on my point of view, like if it's if it's a selection of like, if it's like choosing which one audio player over the other one, you should probably, assuming they're functionally compatible or not functionally, like, you know, kind of uh, the same level of feature sets, then you should probably pick the one that integrates into your desktop better. Right. You know, like it, so that it feels like more of like a, a, like a complete look feel like it feels like it belongs there. Not that it's like kind of bubble gum and duct tape sort of added in after the fact. Um, that, that's also assuming feature parity though. So, yeah, I found it interesting. Tweak tool is dominating the pool already <laughs> in the results there. Rocker. So you your, can't, your recommendation is, uh, you can't live good. without tweak tool, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're installing them. You got to have that. All right. Enough about gnome. We got other distros to talk about. Yeah. What's, uh, we got this, uh, MX 16.1. And it's really, I love how their headline is released with support for Adobe Flash. So that the one, world cheered. <laughs> well, that, that's a little bit of a head scratcher to me. Um, I, I don't en- entirely follow what the big, uh, sort of, 
perk is with that. I mean, everyone's kind of got flash. And I know that this one's like some approved by Adobe special use case, but uh, it's, I guess it's the fact that it's the official Adobe flash that's included within their ISO. I, I guess that's really the big selling point. I guess there. I'm out of touch, but I thought Adobe was killing their own product. <laughs> I thought they were killing. Well, Flash. that's the long-term plan is kind of my understanding. You look at everything else they're doing and where they've moved to and changing their focus into HTML5 and building tools for that kind of stuff. I think it's it's around and it's there, but I think it's going away. So um, it's... I, I just don't follow it entirely, but I guess the big deal is is just the fact that Adobe let them package it in the ISO, but I'm not sure what's exactly headline worthy of that. I'm probably missing something. Or well, maybe... we, we've had Dolphin Oracle on from MX-16 before uh, on okay. Destination Linux, and part of the draw to MX-16 is the fact that they have their own specific tools that they design and make. And okay. one of them was... Solus. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one of them was uh, the MX Flash. So okay. that was in there in the ISO before, and now it's no longer needed. So they'll be using, I guess, the official Adobe. So that's why I would assume that it's in there as far as a headline. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So I guess they've got their new release out here, and they've got some. Uh, I guess they've done some work on their installer that's supposed to be improved. You know, uh, has improved like home folder encryption. You know, uh, they're claiming it's experimental though. So there's the big caveat. You know, you might want to be careful. I don't, don't think I've data. ever ever encrypted my home folder. Really, my uh, my whole hard drive is encrypted. Really? Oh yeah, I run that by default. Oh my gosh. That yeah. seems like so, like, just in case I can't get to it again. You know what I mean? Like, just, what happens if you forget your password? It's called backups. <laughs> <laughs> Which you should be doing anyways. Well, so. I do that anyway, but I just, I don't know. I just never, it, I've never saw the, as the password manager. You I've never saw the need or the draw to encrypt the home folder. I mean, is there something so, I'm missing? Well, I mean, I guess that comes down to what are you storing on your computer, really, right? Like, do you have yeah. anything on there? Do you have access into any sort of systems? Like, do you have anything saved in your browsers? Do you have, you know, it, it's a factor. The re- and I do it, too, because, uh, like, if it's stolen. For me, for me, personally, it's more about theft. I don't right. like that concept of somebody having my data, not because my data is particularly interesting or that I have something to hide. It's just, I just don't want that to happen. And the other thing is too, is like hard drive failures and you got to dispose of them. Like now I don't have to go run a drill through the proverbial virtual platter now that they're all SSD, you know, or (laughs) or smash it up or anything. Or if I want to swap my disks out and give it away to someone, well, guess what? I don't even have to write it to zeros. You know, you don't have to do any of that. It's just, and you know what? Why not? In this day and age, why would you not do it? It runs got... so well, has no performance impact any longer. It's not no. like it used to be where uh, you had to be a programmer to figure out how to encrypt. And, and that's one thing I love about a lot of Linux distros is it's it's a checkbox. Click right. the checkbox, you're done. Yeah. It's encrypted. Like it, It's so simple. Even a caveman could do it. <laughs> but I think yeah. people, to Dustin's point, forget about how much or take for granted how much personal information, even if you think, well, you know, I don't have any secret government documents or whatever, but you've probably downloaded bank statements. You've probably, if you've ever gone for a mortgage or anything, 
gotten all that paperwork he filed to you. Maybe, you know, you were doing some credit line. There's just so many things that you don't think about that you end up storing. And if somebody was to get their hands on that, you're talking social security numbers, dates of birth, maiden names for your mother. I mean, all that stuff's on those type of documents. So it's all there. But I mean, if you're, if you're smart anyways, if you're talking about security, your security questions don't reflect your mother's maiden name. Right. Don't, don't do that. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I mean, it's like pro tip there, just choose a standard person, place or thing that has nothing to do with you. And that way, anytime you have a security question, that involves a place, you know the standard answer that has nothing to do with you. Anytime it's a question about a person's name, you have a standard name that has nothing to do with you. You know the answer. You, you know, that's kind of the way I look at it because then, you know, like anyone with a little bit of Googling skill can go figure it out in like 15 or minutes. Or separate authenticator being the best option instead of the dumb questions like, what was yeah. your first car? Right. Uh, yeah. Maybe a past girlfriend that don't like me can guess that. You know, so I'm yes. not so sure that that's great uh, yeah. security. Yeah, so I don't know. That's the way I tend to look yeah. at that kind of stuff. Why not? I'll have to. Uh, to I'll have to look at it because I uh, yeah. I've never done it. So maybe I'll have to look into it. That my friend is like he said that checkbox and one extra login when you uh, start your computer. Mm-hmm. So the only time I recommend against it is if you have remote reboots. Right <laughs> now, you're not going to see that. My my question would be, um, how would that affect me as a distro hopper? And I install it multiple systems, and I keep the same hard drive. I keep the same folder partition. Does that carry over? That's a good question. I cannot answer that, my friend. Time for separate hard drives. See, I (laughs) I that's why I got files over to one hard drive once I'm doing that, and then I move them back once I change the distro over. But uh, in your case, I'm not sure if you're keeping the exact same. Well, the other thing I do is I will, I have my test drive and I will have three partitions on that and I'll install different operating systems on that. But I will sim link to my main home partition. Will the encryption not allow that to happen? Probably. Well, not if you're reaching into another drive that is encrypted. Now, if you have your installation drive encrypted, right? Say, say you've restricted it to a partition. It depends probably on the installer. Um, if your home folder is not encrypted somewhere else, it's not going to care. Right. It's going to be spun up and it's going to reach over going the other way. I'm not too sure. I haven't tested it to be honest. Something to look into. (laughs) All right. Um, what else we got with MX 16? Uh, yeah, sorry. Got very off topic there. It's all Uh, good. (laughs) So it looks like they've updated, you know, kind of their default themes and sort of some of the wallpapers, um, they've got, uh, options for top or bottom placement or horizontal bars, you know, and sorry, that's in their MX default look. And I guess they've improved backup and restore. That's, I'm not entirely sure what that encompasses, but I guess you get uh, better backups, which is always a good thing. Um, they've updated their manual in HTML and PDF. So I guess they're, you know, keeping their documentation current, which is always going to be good. Um, they did a bunch of bug fixes in like app notifier, uh, you know, right, right click menu improvements, you know, icons, themes, preferences, you know, classic versus like their MX 16 stuff. Um, they've got, uh, I guess they've got a new ISO, uh, hosting over on SourceForge, Uh, and it's based on, what was it? Jesse 8.8 or something like that. Yep. 
Yeah. So, so I just did a video on MX-16 the day before this patch came out, which <laughs> dun, is dun, dun. my luck. Um, so they, they patched some of this, but I was really, and, I, and a lot of people I had read when I was trying to find a fix for this ran into this, which is no NVMe support in the installer, the problem that oh. I ran into. And um, this was particularly a, a big issue, and I know a lot of computers now are coming with that NVMe support. And I wasn't the only one having the issue, so I know it wasn't just because I'm so inexperienced. Um, maybe others have found a solution. There was one person on a forum who'd created some package to work around it. But I was really hoping to see that here, or if somebody knows uh, you know, a, a solution to that, I would love to know uh, if that's still a problem or if it was just something with my setup. But uh, it, it would see it in Gparted. It would see my NVMe drive, but would not mm-hmm. in the installer. But I loved MX-16. I thought it was a really great, um, beautifully simple distribution. I really liked it. That was the one issue that I had and why I couldn't use it as a main distro because my main drive is the NV. So I haven't actually used it. What's kind of like the elevator pitch on that distro? Like what's sort of their niche? Well, it's a lightweight, fast desktop, but it, it comes out in all of the tools that they have. So they have all kinds, the MX tools is basically what it is. And there's all kinds of different ones that they personally make for MX-16, like the uh, MX Flash uh, that they had put into it. All kinds of different things in that, uh, the the MX default look. Uh, All kinds of different tools that they personally made, and that's where it was all geared towards people who may not be familiar with Linux an easy way to do this you know yeah you can do this like by editing this file and doing this but this tool does it automatically and that's Uh, what the draw was if somebody doesn't ever want to touch a terminal that mx16 is it like you don't have to touch it now i love the terminal actually in any aptitude um you know debian based system and it's debian based so it's familiar to me as a newer user those are the first commands that i used so I'm much more familiar with them and finding software and downloading software. So I don't need GUIs for that, but I definitely see the appeal. I love how it's simple. It gamed very well, and it had a very uh, good performance and feel to it. I thought it was just a very well laid out system overall. It was definitely one where I would consider making it a main uh, distro that I would utilize on a regular basis, but uh, couldn't quite surpass Monjaro because the NVMe support by itself. So. Interesting. All right. So have any of you guys tried cinnamon before? Uh, I could say yes, but I would not be a very truthful gentleman then. (laughs) Ryan? I think I did, but it's just the thought. I think it was was something that I had tried when I was downloading it, but I I couldn't tell you much about it outside of that. So I think at some point I clicked on it because it looked uh, interesting. Okay, I can't say I've never tried cinnamon or like mint, but it was so long ago that I can't even honestly answer when that was. I know I've seen it. I know they used green and gray <laughs> at some point they did, or maybe that'll tell us where when it happened. But uh, it hasn't been in a while. Well, they've come out with um, a lot. They've they've been around for a while, and they've come out with the beta release for 18.2. So a lot of improvements have been made since those early days that, yeah, one of, that was one of the first distributions that I started on. So, uh, there's been a lot of improvements since then, but cinnamon 
is something that I ran uh, when I started. I started out on KDE, and then I actually, uh, in between, tried cinnamon. And cinnamon was really, it was that happy medium between having a, a really customizable desktop, yet not so customizable that you got lost everywhere. And right. sometimes in KDE, you can get lost. And in cinnamon, it was like you had set the settings area. Is we talked about sane defaults before. Well, the settings yeah. area has a is very sane as far as your mind is concerned. You where you can just right. get to what you need to switch it. Has a lot of customized options, but it's not going to blow your mind with it. And the Cinnamon three point four is will be in the beta, and it will be in eighteen point two when it's finally released. And one of the big things about Cinnamon before was the stability. So it was always, and that's why I switched away from it because it was always good to use. But mm -hmm. when you started adding applets or extensions, you would crash the desktop. And oh, it was okay. a constant scenario where you were constantly, they would update Cinnamon, the extensions wouldn't, or the applets wouldn't work, or they would crash. And it was just a constant fight with it. And with 3.4, they are, having separate processes for different areas. So the desktop runs on a separate process. Nemo runs on separate processes and it allows for you almost like the Chrome Chromium idea where each tab or each process is a separate one so that if one crashes, you don't crash the whole desktop. Okay. So what uh, I had to go back and check was that they've been on cinnamon mint as since 17 because Linux mint 17 is what I use during 30 days of Linux. And uh, indeed, they were on cinnamon. So, and looking at the screenshots of cinnamon, I definitely used it. <laughs> the issue I had with cinnamon was the tear through with OBS. That was actually the only problem I had uh, on my main machines. What I used it on, so latest hardware, Intel i7 6700 yeah. with the GeForce 1080, and it ran beautifully and it gamed very well. For some reason, something with OBS would, uh, when you were recording, the screen would constantly tear through on OBS and I could not get around it. I could go into any other distro and desktop environment and not have that problem with mint. It was constant. And that was why I went away from it because it was one of my top picks for new uh, Linux users. Cause I just thought it was gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful and very easy to use. I'm trying to remember if I had issues with uh, screen tearing with uh, cinnamon or not, but I haven't used the Linux mint cinnamon for a while. It's been a few years since I've used Linux Mint Cinnamon. I have installed Cinnamon other places like through Arch or I actually have – I am running – I am still on Ubuntu Unity as far as the base was concerned. I installed Gnome and Cinnamon alongside of it. So I have it installed on this system, but I don't remember if it has any screen tearing issues or not. But – well, the other thing is, too, is when you're installing it, though, you may be introducing other factors when you're layering it in over top of a like a distro that was not sort of built for it. So I, I live on the edge, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Need to grow your hair out so it flows as you're rolling that fast. <laughs> well, um, you also and then, it you know, it may seem like small minor changes, but these are all changes that go into making a complete operating system. So you can change the desktop icon sizes with a click of a button. Uh, they're now they are the desktop icons are now handled in their own separate processes. So 
they're not handled through Nemo. So it just all around seems to be that 3.4, and I'm like I said, I'm running the 3.4 now. It seems like it's way more stable than previous versions. So I can't wait for it to hit Linux Mint and to see how stable that was, or that is, I should say. Right. Well, if it's getting more stable, then they're doing something right. Well, they're also improving the cinnamon spices, and we had touched on it on another episode of Destination Linux, but I figure we'll touch on it again because it is the uh, beta release of it. So the website has been rewritten, uh, and the goal is to not just make it look better, but have it be more secure and more stable. So before, like I said, the applets were part of the biggest problem with cinnamon that they would crash. So they're kind of locking down the control of the applets so that they kind of vet them a little bit. And it's not just an applet out there that they have no idea what that does, who knows what to the desktop itself. So they are supporting authentication for the uh, website through Google, Facebook, and GitHub. So you can comment and favorite your uh, spices that you like. And they've moved the maintenance of the spices over to GitHub. So every change will be reviewed by Linux Mint. And it just seems to be, and I know that this has caused a lot of issues with developers because they feel that it's not going to be theirs anymore. Because like you make an applet and you put it upstream and if they feel that it's that's not supposed to do this, they might change it. So it's almost like it's not yours anymore. But I think in the overall scheme, I think it works out better for the users. Right. Well, I mean, if you look at it from the point of view of like even, you know, a code review, I don't think there's anything really wrong with that, I guess. I guess one might argue, though, that you're getting closer to that, you know, that proverbial walled garden if they're going to start, you know, kicking things out because of specific uh, features or, or functionality or something like that. But my understanding, at least from what you've said, is it's more about a review for stability, not necessarily functionality. Right. Well, but that's part of what Linux Mint is about, you know, almost with the wall garden, uh, especially with their update system that they have so that you only update like the security fixes. Well, you have your choice, but by default, right. you only update the ones that they say will, you know, are work. Will work, yeah, pretty much. So they're going to be directly involved in the maintenance of all the spices, and they're trying to get closer to a situation where everything just works out of the box. And that is a – whether you like Linux Mint or not, because I know there's a lot of people that don't like Linux Mint as well. <laughs> but yeah. whether you like that or not, I think the goal is a good one. It, we all have different ways of going about things. We all have different viewpoints of how to get to our goals, but I think the goal in general is a pretty good one. I agree. Sounds like it. All right. So we have uh, – and uh, Linux Mint also will have the Mate version uh, in the beta release as well. The only major uh, enhancement to that is the version of Mate, which is 1.18, and that's the one that supports GTK3. So, or is yeah, all GTK3? Yeah, that's the one where everything's now finally merged over. I think that was because I know like Martin's on the uh, Mate desktop team itself, like outside of his flavor distro thing. And I think that was something he was pushing pretty hard for. Yep. So. All right. We got more news, dude. Yeah. 
Oh, what do you know, KD? <laughs> we always cover KD every time, every show. But and that's because they continually have they have this roadmap for updating, and it just never ends. So they have five point ten just a, a week after they announced five point ten. They have five point ten one, and on June thirteenth will be five point ten point two. And then on and on, point three will be June 27th, point four will be July 18th, and point five will be August 22nd. And these are all bug fix versions. So 5.10 mm-hmm. came out with all the feature set, but these are all the bug fixes to make it more and more stable. So are you guys KDE fans? I like it, actually. Um, I have no problem with it. I, I'm a huge fan of the configurability of it. Uh, and that stems back to me where like, I'm a keyboard driver. So one of my favorite aspects to it is you can pretty much throw a keyboard shortcut on anything you could ever imagine in there if you can find it. Right. <laughs> but it's, but it's in there, you know, and yeah, I'm, I became more of a fan of it once they sort of got out of the, uh, the old style theming that they had going on there for a long time. Like it was a really solid functional wise, but I honestly, I couldn't stand to look at it, which is <laughs> kind of a, kind of a stupid reason to like kind of shy away from something, you know, because it had technical merit and still does. And I'd say kind of the direction they've gone and, and how um, from a lot of the news I've been reading, things are sort of stabilizing and have been for quite a while. And now they're just kind of on this steady stream of just constant sort of like pushing out, you know, feature sets and bug fixes. And it's it's not the sort of thing where you used to historically hear about the bugs and therefore, you know, don't run it. Right. You know, like at the beginning of the um, the current series, the five series. But now it's like you pretty much hear nothing but good stuff about it. And and when you get that sort of flexibility in there, like it's, it's compelling. It definitely is like, cause you can make it do whatever you want it to do without having to crack too many, you know, extensions or extras or, or go hunt for something that adds that functionality. It's, it's in there probably. So most definitely it's in there somewhere. You may have to yeah, search exactly. around for it, but it's in there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, I, I just think need it's a good index just- search. <laughs> yep. It's my favorite uh, desktop environment right now. I run in Manjaro is the KDE um, Plasma, and I, I just I, I love the ability to not only add widgets, add panels, change things like Dustin said around and configure it any way I want. But there's a lot of usability functions like the springing folder options that are in there now. Where if I'm basically grab a folder, I drag it to the corner of another folder, it starts opening all the folders underneath so that I can move my files through there. And it's there's just so much that from a productivity standpoint, I think that it it handles so incredibly well. I'm I'm actually surprised no one did that feature before now because um I, I genuinely wonder if everyone was trying to give some distance from when like Apple rolled it out because they've had it for a couple of years and their stuff. And I'm really surprised no one uh, copied it because it is a, it's a great way to navigate through those folders when you got to get through a hierarchy a little bit deep because sometimes you just definitely don't want to pop up a, a file browser and and knock down into your hierarchy that way. It's Absolutely. it's a kind of a pain. So it, it's a great idea. I, I hope it comes to more of the desktops and more of the file browsers. Agreed. Well, you mentioned KDE Manjaro, and that's my nemesis. That's the one really? I have yet to get installed on my system. So oh my I'm going to get it. it one, so of, much. one of these days, I'm going to get it installed. 
How does the noob like it and the, and the guy who actually knows what he's doing I can't, doesn't like it? I can't even get it installed. I liked it. I had it. I, I can boot into a live USB disc, but I can't get it installed on my system. That's my problem. Um, it, yeah. there, there is a trick that I've had to do, and I will say it's probably one of the worst installers. In my personal opinion, as a new person, it's a very difficult installer. And I know it's supposed to be a simplified installer for Arch, so how do you think that makes me feel? Um <laughs> But for some reason, if I go into that first splash screen and I choose non-free software yep. instead of free software, and then I do boot from the USB, it will work. If I do not choose non-free, it will give me a kernel crash. Right. Don't know why. Maybe maybe that's a hint. Well, yeah. <laughs> it has something to do with the NVIDIA drivers, and I have to do the same. But even after booting into it, this, the Calamars installer crashes. I've tried to install it through Thus, and that crashes. I, I've covered it a couple times where I just can't get it installed. <laughs> but I'm going to get it someday. It is your nemesis. It is. It is my nemesis. I'm just going to so take ne- videos of my desktop and send them to you. Like, look how fun it is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You'll never experience Thanks, it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, so here's the challenge. you got to borrow someone else's rig and go through the installer and see if you can get it installed on another machine. Then we can figure out whether it's you or the hardware. <laughs> that's the, uh, that's the uh, problem with only having one machine. You've been clicking next, next, next the wrong way the it whole just, time. The whole time I've been doing it wrong, dude. <laughs> All right. So the last thing uh, about KDE is Kubuntu, if you, have, if you enable the Zesty backports, has the 5.10.1 in it. So that's if you're running Kubuntu, I I mean, I always want to be on the latest one. And with Kubuntu, you're usually running a version behind or two. So yeah. I would I myself, if I'm running a Kubuntu desktop, will enable the backports and get the newest one. So Or you just go neon. Or you can go neon. Bare metal. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So I think that's all we're gonna cover on the desktop area. So what else did we got, Dustin? Uh, there was, what were we going to talk about? So I saw OMG Ubuntu today had um, this article on that Ubuntu. I don't know if I'm saying that. I'm probably butchering it, uh, which is basically, I don't know. I almost equate it to sort of like another hybrid of a, like a tweak tool and yet also kind of like the welcome screen and getting some other software in there installed a little easier. Um, I threw it on a test box today just because I was curious about it. And, you know, like they even say it's still under development, but, you know, it's it's still, it, it needs some work and you can kind of see that. But, that you know, they said that outright. Uh, so you can do some of that stuff like, you know, adding PPAs for third-party software. And, and like I said, it reminds me of a welcome. Um, but you may want to kind of, ch- I, I noticed it was really asking for a lot of, you know, credentials and and things like that like it i don't know why it seemed like it wasn't sort of like you know when you enter sudo credentials and it sort of caches it and yeah it seemed like every single one so there's probably something back there but so it's uh, a lot of that stuff and then there was one like some of the rough edges like one of the things i noticed is so if you, they have a section where you can go through and do like package repairs fixing your ppas purging and things like that so you go in and you hit the button but then it wouldn't work because there wasn't, it has a dependency on uh, the uh, y-ppa-manager application, right. which you can install through their, their little software selection aspect and you would have it, but there's sort of no like dependency solving happening there. So I was sitting there like trying to hit the button, hit the button, hit the button. And then I, and then, you know, I, it pops like a terminal over in the side 
And of course I wasn't paying attention like I should have been. Cause you know, I had three monitors and one was over on the side. That's the downside to having three monitors. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you hold on to that. <laughs> and, um, and so I didn't notice that and it's because it didn't have the proper tool sets. And then the other thing I noticed is it installs apt fast, which is like a, it's like a shell wrapper around like apt or aptitude or whichever one you, you can tell it which one to use. And that's just so it can do like uh, concurrent downloads and installations, like sort of side by side. So it's supposed to speed up the whole process because they have, uh, it was like three pages of software that you could sort of select. And of course they have the button that says select all, which right. I don't know why anyone would ever do. Well, let me ask a you a question. Of- um, the app fast, I've heard about it before, read articles mm-hmm. about it, but in real world, in a real world scenario, does it actually speed up anything? Uh, only when I would say only when you're installing like a mass, like uh, a ton of software, kind of like this tool is because you're selecting like hypothetically, if you do the select all, like you've got like 50, 60 packages, right? Right. And maybe then it would, but like would I go install app fast on its own, probably not. Right. I, I don't really see a reason. Maybe I just haven't played enough with it. Um, the, the biggest thing I like about it was the shell completion that you can add to it. So you just sort of get all your uh, command switches and things like that. But I mean, you can do that anyways in a bash terminal with like bash IT or something, you know, similar. So it it's cool. It's kind of something to watch. It would make some things easier, but there's also a lot of like real dangerous things in there. Well, I noticed uh, that has the enable sudo without password. (laughs) Like, this is not for a new user to put on and install and try out because like you talk about now, everything's easy. (laughs) I can get to all those folders. Oh my gosh! I don't think I would recommend this to a new user, but I don't know why you would need that. Would why would you need to enable sudo without a password? Because you're too lazy to type your password again. But okay, again, why would I need that? <laughs> because so you're too lazy Windows, to type your password again. I just again, don't right? want to type a password. Right. I guess. I mean, it, it's well. That's the that comes down to. Well, honestly, I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, other than you have to enter your password again. Mm-hmm. Legitimately, that's it. Because and the other thing with sudo is usually after you enter it once, and if you do a couple of sequential sudo commands, like it doesn't prompt you every single time. You know, it remembers right. it for a duration and then it goes away. So honestly, I I don't know. It's something I would never really enable. There's, yeah, it's okay. It's convenient, but it's not that hard to enter your password. And, and the repercussions otherwise are much larger. So um, I don't know. I, I agree. This isn't something I would hand over to any new user. Maybe once they sort of refine it and sort of figure out kind of where they're going. Like I don't really understand what, the direction of it is like the most useful thing I see in there is the uh, mass amount of software selection. If you had, you know, specific uh, offerings in there, but then that's for on a lot of the Ubuntu's that's already being uh, serviced by the welcome screens that everyone, you know, everyone's forked off of Martin's original project. So why do you need this one? I'm not entirely sure yet, but it's still in dev. So, I mean, it remains to be seen. It could, maybe it's going to turn into something great, but right now it's just pretty early and a little, a little dangerous, I would say, but not, well, dangerous to a new user who doesn't maybe right. understand what the repercussions are and, you know, slams in. I don't need, like if you did select all in all the pack work, package selections, I, I wonder how many PPAs that would put in. Right. You well, know, like it does say, it. <laughs> it does say Ubuntu power users in the title. So that's what yeah, it's aimed so, at. 
Right. But I would also argue that half of those guys are going to go like if they really are those power users really going to go disable passwords on sudo. And if they really want to, do you think they're not just going to run like go edit the sudo as well? Like, well, I was going to say that like most. Mm-hmm. Well, OK, the users that this is aimed at probably aren't going to use a GUI at all. You know, yeah. they're going to use the command line to do what they need to do. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, it remains to be seen. It's definitely yeah, nice exactly. to have it out there, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not trying to discredit whatever it is they're trying to do. Um, it just sort of remains to see sort of how their direction settles out and whether it's going to be something that people are going to see as a value or kind of just a, a very uh, narrow field of use. You know, who knows? <laughs> Can't really say. Um, other than that, I would say, so we got some new Chrome happening here which everyone seems to love, seems to be the one that's kind of pounding Firefox into the dirt right now. It is pounding them into the dirt, it I is. have to say. Well, it's pounding everyone into the dirt, so yeah. there's not a whole lot you can do. So um, they just had uh, 59 come out, and you know if you read through the articles about it, they talk about a bunch of the updates that they've got for other operating systems like Mac notifications, but we're not we're not really interested in that. But, right. Um, so the, apparently they've got like 30 some bug fixes and, you know, they've got some new little features like to avoid over prompting users. Um, they will put kind of a stop on like an origin from requesting additional permissions after like the third dismissal of that permission. So it's not just going to sit there and kind of try to bludgeon you with like that pop up left, right and center in your face. Right. Um, you know, there's some of the traditional cosmetic stuff. Like I think uh, the settings pane has a material design. You know, yes, you it like does. you like it or you love it or you hate it. You know, whatever your theory is on material design, it's their invention. They're going to do it. I'm surprised they haven't done more of it in the uh, browser itself. Um, they've done some updates to things like the image capture API, which allows like a higher resolution, uh, gives some additional um, access to the uh, like developers where they can get more of like a full control over the camera settings, you know, zoom ISO and white balances and things like that. So some people may debate whether you want people to have more control over your camera or whether they want to, you know, pull one of those. Right. Um, you know, and it, it, a lot of the update seems to be very developer related, you know, it's like V touch events and, you know, there's like a new like worker. Um, what are they called? The worker dash SRC worker source, however you pronounce it, you know, it's like a content security policy directive. And there's like a, um, there's like a V installed related apps function, which, you know, consolidates like push notifications in more, in a more intelligent way. Um, you know, it, it's that kind of stuff. So I would say it's more developer driven, but uh, you know, if you really like material design and want your settings to look good, then uh, you've got that option. <laughs> You know, well, I have, <laughs> I have to say that settings look better than they did before. Uh, that's yeah. just me. I'm not saying that I love material design, but I think it mm-hmm. is an improvement over what they had. So do you guys use Chrome? Yes. Well, okay. I use Chrome, but recently I've actually gone to Vivaldi. I love um, Vivaldi. Because so it, it is like the biggest thing for me in Chrome and why I kept coming back to it um, I mean, originally you'd have things like Netflix playback, but it was a lot of the extensions, you know, just the things used. But the fact that I can go to the Chrome store in Vivaldi and load up all my extensions, all great, checkbox. Probably my biggest hate, oh, hate, hate is a very strong word, dislike of Vivaldi is the fact that it doesn't have uh, the settings sync yet. You know, I know people have been asking that for a while. So you got to kind of remember, 
sort of you know what extensions you had and yeah you know and you're that's a big distro thing. hop a lot rocco i don't know what <laughs> yeah. you're talking about but i'll tell you the sync is really yeah. good for somebody that would distro hop i'm just yeah, saying exactly so <laughs> i but i do use it. it it's still like i kind of like i come and go with vivaldi so i um if if i leave vivaldi i'm always back at chrome i guess to answer your question so chrome's always on my system regardless and sometimes I just use Vivaldi as kind of, I keep dipping my toes back in to see if they have sync and then maybe I can go there, right? you know, cause it does everything I need it to do and more actually. So, so I did a video back when I was doing security, um, you know, so a lot of security stuff and that's where Vivaldi first came up. Actually a user said, you need to check out Vivaldi. And I did a comparison between Vivaldi, Chrome, Mozilla, Firefox, and also ran, uh, a bunch of programs to look at the security and ways that you could get around. Voldy ended up being one of the best uh, out there, not only from a system resource standpoint usage, but also its security, uh, not having the vulnerabilities that both Chrome and Firefox had. So I'm Vivaldi Firefox all the way. I try to stay <laughs> away from Chrome as much as possible, um, especially when Firefox had the ability to play, as Dustin said, Netflix and Amazon videos because yeah. that was the only thing that was holding me there was, was that, and you could install Chrome and you could play that right away. But now that that's gone and you can do that in Firefox, uh, what's the point of uh, going into Chrome? Because I know that Google is out there grabbing as much metadata as they can on everything I'm searching for, everything I'm doing. It's to me, it's counterintuitive to the whole I'm on Linux. I like privacy. I use Chrome. Well, you're probably not getting that privacy you're hoping for if you're using Chrome. Uh, and they, if you're using Google you. Search instead of DuckDuckGo, you probably don't care about privacy as much <laughs> as you might think either. The uh, the other thing, too, is if you're using Chrome or even Vivaldi, uh, I highly recommend you put on the Great Suspender extension. And I have it what installed. That oh, that thing is so good. That That basically keeps Chrome from eating my machine like it. Otherwise, Chrome would just devour it. And uh, when I found that one quite a while ago, that one that one goes with me everywhere now. Well, the sync option is definitely the best thing about it, uh, whether it's Chromium or Chrome. Uh, it doesn't really matter to me. Uh, the only problem mm-hmm. that I have with Chromium is sometimes it, it doesn't display sites as well as Chrome for whatever reason. I don't know why. Really? I mean, it seems mm-hmm. it's the same underlying code, but... Uh, it's just there are certain sites out there that won't display properly in Chromium. They will display properly in Chrome. So I don't know. That's weird. All right. So um, let's move on to uh, SteamOS. And that release is a, is a new release with the Linux kernel 4.11 and a new Mesa graphics stack. So... I don't run SteamOS. I know Rob runs. Do you run SteamOS, Ryan? No. Never. I'm just glad they're still building it because that just so shows a little bit of dedication from Valve still because a lot of people were worried that it was kind of starting to get, you know, a little dusty. You know, no one had blown the cobwebs off. There wasn't a lot of movement on it. So, you know, it shows something regardless and of I what it is. And I believe Steam Link, I don't know if I'd have to look up, but I think Steam Link runs straight Steam OS. And in that case, I've played with it from a Steam Link standpoint. Right. And Steam Link works fantastically with Linux, by the way. With Steam Link's a little box that you can put next to your TV and you can stream games from your computer to that box and, and, and play them through there. And, and it runs 
fantastically from a Linux implementation. And just anything Steam's doing right now, uh, they're really building the whole Linux gaming foundation. They're pushing it uh, better than anybody out there. So I'm, I'm just a huge supporter of them. I, uh, If it wasn't for them, the gaming in Linux wouldn't be nowhere near where it is today. And uh, so I'm very happy, that, like like uh, Dustin said, that we're still supporting, that they're still supporting their OS. And I hope it does find success. I've never gotten into it from the standpoint that it, I've, my understanding is it literally is a gaming platform. There is no ability to really add other apps or things into it. So no. for me, that wouldn't be something that right. would be that exciting when I can just use Steam and go into big picture mode if I kind of want that experience where I'm all, yeah, in, all in and just gaming. It's just meant to be an appliance, right? Like something that you would have out in your living room that you could go either load on some old hardware or something that you like the look of or something like that. It's meant to be an appliance, not so much like, uh, yeah, it's Linux under the hood, but it's not meant to be a Linux, you know, distro flavor, whatever you want to call it. Right. Well, that's why I threw it in here into the news. It's not like I, like I said, I'm not running SteamOS and never have, but it seems like Valve is behind the whole push for the Linux gaming and and other companies like Faro Interactive and stuff, but I just think that it's a it's it's a good thing to see these companies behind them. Well, they're driving the bus, really, is the way you look at it. Everyone else is kind of like passengers. Maybe some other people are, you know, running co-pilot if you want, if such a thing existed on a bus. But I'd say they're really the bus driver if you think about it, or at least they're the ones that lit the fire on the barbecue. So they're also heavily pushing the Vulcan. Uh, drivers for these games and uh, heavily vested into that. And that's so important because if you look at my channel and all the people's comments, one of the things you'll see is I would switch to Linux if it wasn't for the gaming. I've got a game and it's always gaming. Nobody ever says anything else. Stability, never an issue. Security, never an issue. Nothing. It's always just I would switch, but gaming. And so when you see these pushes coming in, especially Vulcan, and you think about Who's going to go out? You know, Microsoft probably is not going to just sit there and go, let's let DirectX, you know, 11 and 12 just die uh, right. and, and go to Vulcan, even though NVIDIA and Intel and AMD are heavily vested in Vulcan right now, right? They're releasing their drivers for Vulcan. I believe NVIDIA released their Vulcan drivers the day Vulcan became available. So <laughs> this has got to be fearful for Microsoft, right? Because they've had a monopoly with DirectX. So it's who's going to be able to compete against Microsoft who has a bigger base than them? Steam, because all those people who said, I can't live without gaming on Linux, they can't or you know, without having games, the games that I play, they can't live without Steam. Steam is the staple of essentially PC gaming right now. And there are other ones that are coming across. So it's so much more than just uh, the importance of having Steam supported. It's the fact that there's such a, in-house name a tool that all of us use for gaming and they're pushing it so heavily that makes it such a great thing it's name brand it's name brand recognition there you go that's a great way of putting it yep yeah well speaking of gaming what do we got in the gaming section Ryan? well speaking of vulcan and well mesa but uh vulcan's included in there you've got some uh 70 improvements have been released in the mesa package i'm not super uh, knowledgeable in this area. My understanding is Mesa is kind of a wrapper for all of the OpenGL and, and uh, APIs and Vulkan APIs. So they've put 70 fixes in there. And I think some of those 70 fixes directly impacted Vulkan and how it interacts with AMD cards. Uh, there are some fixes for that. So 
that was pretty interesting in there. I don't know if you guys have any additional insight into that. Well, you're I'm, talking to the guy who does not have a GPU, my friend. <laughs> oh, so. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I do not have a lot of insight. Unless you want Minecraft Call of Duty Edition, then I'm... Wow. Well, <laughs> well, no, I don't want Minecraft Call of Duty Edition. <laughs> uh, I am not uh, technical enough to know all the workings of Mesa or anything like that. But again, it's the same scenario where you see all these changes going and little by little the the gaming community in linux is growing and growing and growing and it wouldn't be possible without all of these developments from mesa and everything else and we had talked last week about uh feral interactive where they gave their whole steam library to anybody who had made more than five commits to mesa and i mean that is just awesome so it's all these little things little here you know we'll it goes by and you say, oh, well, another Mesa update. But you know what? It's these things that happen that make everything where it is right now. So this is the most exciting time when I look back in history for Linux and gaming. And I think I think finally, you know, it's gotten to the point where um, the, the folks who are involved, the open source community, the, the groups that are creating games, they're all starting to take note and they don't want to be wrapped into a single platform either. You know, with Vulkan, you can release your distribution, your API much easier over multiple platforms like Android, um, the actual video game consoles and PCs and Linux and Mac all within that where there's OpenGL by itself. That was much more difficult. You had to create separate APIs for kind of each one or coding for each one. So my understanding with Vulkan is that it's going to bring all that together. Now you can, you know, develop that API and it's going to work cross-platform. So now why wouldn't a developer want to create their game and have that option, right? Because you'd say, well, as a developer, of course, I'm going to hit the Windows community. That's the biggest. But Linux is growing fast, but it's still maybe 7 8% of the market as far as consumers go. But now I can have another 8% of the market. If I just code in Vulkan, of course, I'm going to, to, to do that and implement it. This is the most exciting time for Linux and gaming ever. And all of those folks who were leaving those comments talking about, I would switch if it wasn't for gaming. I really think in six months, that's going to be a mute issue for the first time. Uh, I think we're at the point now where the game developers are going to start writing a lot more for Vulcan. You got to remember a, a game creation cycle is five to 10 years. Right. So uh, some people are already middle in the middle of writing their games and installing. So you're really looking at this next, uh, group of games which in the next six months i think we're going to start seeing a lot more and we're already starting to see a lot more for instance like warhammer Forty Thousand, right that's a big name out there (laughs) for a game people love the warhammer franchise i mean it's an obsession uh it's out there with like a star trek or star wars warhammer is the same thing this this is a tabletop rpg that a lot of people played fell in love with painted the little figures now it's in a game environment um, it's it's a fantastic thing to see big names like this now starting to create their games. You know, you got Mad Max, of course. You know, Doom's experimenting with the one of the first games that came out with the Vulcan driver, which the second it did, I installed it in Linux and ran beautifully uh, out there. So you've got big names now doing games. So Warhammer 40,000 is uh, in the news because they have their release uh, for Linux. Dawn of War 3. And they've got some pretty tough requirements on here for their their PC that they've listed out. This isn't like a lot of 
Uh, some of the Linux games you look out there, it's like you have one gigabyte of RAM and uh, half a processor. You can run our game. Uh, this one requires, uh, I think they're they're talking about uh, 3.4 gigahertz i3 or better, eight gigs of bytes of RAM, and you do have to have a GPU. Dust. Sorry, this Damn. leaves you, you out. Are, you're out. Yeah, but even with those requirements, it sounds like I even have to update all my. I, I just basically need to buy a rocket ship at this point, um, <laughs> or uh, or go to a console because I can't keep up. the uh, The one thing that I find actually interesting about all this uh, graphics work and the driver work is I'm curious to see where it's going to go with application in uh, like industrial design. Because mm-hmm. as you get better performance, uh, like rendering and things, and then you get into like the 3D sort of aspect and CAD and AutoCAD. And I know a lot of people are already doing that on Linux, but having more of like sort of this work going towards the driver stack uh, in, in the graphic side of things, I think is really good there because then you might actually start to see uh, some of the larger you know, companies that are working in that space might actually sort of sit up and take notice that things are stabilizing and, and getting more performant and being applied to where, you know, it's not like Linux is sort of like, you know, the third cousin right. in that arena anymore, you know? And so this kind of work just touches back and it's beyond like gaming's the application that's driving it, but there's there, it, it, it expands out more than that even. Yep. Well, it goes back to before, you know, going back to the gaming part of it, it's all, it was all about the money. Yeah. You're not going to have developers just make games for Linux. It has to be, Mm -hmm. it's almost like a steady flow of updates to the graphics drivers, updates to Mesa, updates to Vulkan. All of these things combined slowly but surely persuades people to say, okay, well, hey, one game starts working on Linux. Okay. Well, we're going to make this game working on Linux. And we seem to be, uh, as Ryan said, a on a roll where it's like the best time for gaming right now because it's just a snowball effect where more and more games will come out, more and more development will come out with the graphics. And again, going back to what you said, Dustin, it will also help with all of the uh, industrial work for you can right. maybe now switch. Uh, you can maybe have companies that would never consider running Linux maybe would run Linux if they knew their software would work. Well, and there is more of a market for it coming out. Like in my day job, we deal with a lot of um, like this exact kind of stuff, industrial design and, but doing it over remote and and with like remote GPUs and and stuff in the cloud. And we have actually seen more demand for Linux agents coming out now. So originally the company I worked for started with like, you know, windows agents, things like that. But we actually built a Linux graphics agent that you can run, uh, you know, in like in the cloud and have remote desktops that are running GPU rendering. Like we have clients like Ferrari, Lamborghini, Pixar, Industrial Light and Man- Magic, John Deere. Wow. Like they're all doing 3D applications remotely, um, but some of them are actually leveraging Linux and pushing us to actually manufacture it. So it's getting. Uh, more mainstream in other industries, even like outside of like, it's unfortunate that those industries aren't like open source. Like that would be way better if it was, but it's still nice to see the adoption and the acceptance of the platform in other industries that traditionally they wouldn't touch it because they felt like it was either too much of a risk. It's not a serious contender. It's not really worth looking at in that, you know, historically is kind of the thought process they've had, but that's, you know, that's changed or changing or, and will continue to change. 
I think what's also very exciting about this this Warhammer announcement is that guess what you have to have if you're an Intel or AMD user and you want to run Vulkan is what we just talked about, which was the Mesa 17.1, 17.2, but they put Vulkan in there. Experimental Vulkan, Feral Interactive, put that in there. You're seeing more and more and more of these. Now, these are big companies now. These are no longer the small independent companies. These are big companies like the creator of Doom, right, that are going in and they are they're wanting their their games to be ported in here so they're experimenting they're playing with Vulcan they're using it they're getting ready right. for implementations is what i'm hoping for and we're going to see it more and more and more of course Feral Interactive they're doing you know amazing work helping push that but they're getting through to big developers at this point and that's such a, an amazing accomplishment right there for them. It's definitely a a good direction to be going into. So, all right. So, do there's any of you guys have anything to co- else to cover? What do you got, Ryan? Well, there's Clocky. Is that how you pronounce it? Clocky. Yes, it's Clocky. <laughs> I think it's Clocky. As everyone knows on my channel, I have a tendency to mispronounce many things. So, Clocky, Clocky, whatever it may be, is a beautiful casual puzzle game out there. So, Rocco, this is right up your alley. You're not going to have to be quick with the mouse or the keyboard. Wait, wait, wait. Dustin is the one without the GPU. Does it run without a GPU? Oh, I can play this. Hold on. Maybe let me, hold on. Let me install that right now. I need to go look at the specs uh, on there. But uh, what I found interesting in watching the videos about this game is that this is um, a lot of people use play these type of games on their phone, the puzzle games. And obviously, uh, there's a big market for it. They're extremely popular, so now you're starting to see them in the desktop mode. It looks like a very simple puzzle game (laughs) that you can play and have fun with and be something to go check out. More of a relaxing puzzle-type game. There's not a lot of fast action going on or anything along those lines. Right up my alley. Yeah. Right up my GPU. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your GPU. Although, although the box that you're moving around in this looks 3D, so I don't know, man. Oh, great. I'm going to get about 10 frames. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Well, guys, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Um, I think we've went pretty long, but uh, <laughs> I, I totally enjoyed our conversation, and I want to thank you both for helping me uh, co-host this because it was awesome. No worries. Absolute Thanks for having pleasure. us on. Now I can say that, right? Now you can say that. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, Ryan, we'll uh, we're going to have to have you back on uh, okay. and just have a no- another conversation. Dustin, you're going to be back next yeah. week. That's the plan. Next week with, with – go ahead. David Mohammed. He's the team lead of Ubuntu Budgie and uh, possibly others. I got to – figure that part out depends how many uh, little chat heads you want in this uh video right and um yeah so we're gonna come back next week and you can dig in and bang us with some questions and see uh what kind of info you want yep well rob will be back so uh oh, like nice. i said before he was just had some business arrangements to take care of so he wasn't able to make it uh, but he will be back next week and we will have a discussion about ubuntu budgie awesome look forward to it All right, guys, thanks again, and until next week, be safe and check you later. Have a good one.